morning. As I sat in that chair just a few moments ago and it cried out in pain, squeaked, maybe your chair squeaked this morning as you sat in your chair. I thought of life. Uh, some of us are, lives are squeaking. Some of you have job interviews this next week um, that we need to be praying about. Some of you are struggling in other ways that I was made aware of this morning. And uh, your life is squeaking. Some of you have been through recent operations and you're slowly recovering. And uh, your life is squeaking. Sometimes storms move through North Texas and they take out lights and cause everything to turn purple. And we're reminded of a broken world in which we live and that we are squeaking. I don't know where you're at this morning, but when I sat in that chair and it squeaked a bit, and when I reflected on my own life and thinking of all the stuff. Jesus said this, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious. Listen. When your chair squeaks, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Don't be anxious about what the doctor has said. Don't be anxious about what people have said. Don't be anxious about the brokenness in your life or the things you see around you. Saying, what shall we eat? or What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Or what shall we do? For the pagans seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows. He knows that which makes your life squeak. Seek first the kingdom of God. And His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about later on this afternoon. Don't be anxious about what the next thing that makes your life squeak. Those things will be anxious for themselves. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Will you turn to the little book of Titus, chapter 1? Titus, chapter 1. So if you know where 1 Timothy, the letters are 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Titus, chapter 1. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about a congregational meeting coming up here at Hillcrest, coming up the end of next month, and you've been encouraged. I will encourage you again, if you have prayed and discern God's will as far as leadership goes here at the church, we want to hear from you. Uh, I've got a few names, um, but uh, if you know of somebody that, that you feel like is uh, qualified to be an elder, 
qualified to be a deacon, we want to hear those names. Um, I say we, myself or one of the elders, would love to talk with you. The next few weeks, we're going to go through the book of Titus and talk about leadership. What does it mean to be an elder? What does it mean to be a leader? What does it mean to be a deacon, a servant? And so I pray, I hope that you'll read along with us. But before we get into Titus, uh, let's pray and let's uh, continue to give this time to God. Father, for your word that's before us, for your great promises, For your goodness, your faithfulness, uh, your presence, I'm grateful. And I'm grateful, Father, that uh, you use broken vessels. I'm grateful, Father, that you continue to love on us. And despite all the reminders that our world, our lives, our, our situations, our circumstances are, are broken, you are still ministering throughout the brokenness. Even in this church, comprised of broken people, and yet you create a mosaic of, of beauty. You've done it before, and I pray that you would do it again. As we open your word this morning, God, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, help us to see clearly, help us to hear clearly. May these words not be my words, but your words. May we take them and digest them, allow them to become part of who we are. In Christ's name. I want to talk to you about leadership. When I thought about leadership the last couple of weeks, I thought about my military time. Some of you, anybody spent time in the military? I know some of you have spent time in the military, right? We'll take you back to your basic training days. One of the first things that I did at Fort Jackson uh, is they'd gather us up in the platoon, right? They'd gather us up in the platoon, and the, the drill sergeant would ask for volunteers. You guys chuckle for some reason. Well, what's the purpose of asking for volunteers? And you know, you've got one of two responses. You get nobody wants to volunteer because they're not sure what they're getting into. And then you've got others that are trying to impress the drill sergeant. You know, I'm going to be a leader, and so I'm going to volunteer. And oftentimes those first few days when you volunteer, you find out you have KP duty, right? You're peeling potatoes all day. You're cleaning latrines. Latrine is restrooms, right, urinals. Uh, not a... Not a, not a real wholesome, not a real beautiful job, right? And then all of a sudden, as the weeks go on, the volunteers become less and less and less because nobody wants to peel potatoes, right? That's mundane work. Nobody wants to clean latrines, although we know the latrines need to be cleaned. Nobody really wants to take responsibility because if the potatoes aren't peeled, if latrines aren't cleaned, if the things that you volunteered for aren't done, guess what? Everybody, not just you, but everybody has to pay for it, right? Some of you have experienced that in sports, where if you jump off sides, it's not just you being punished or penalized, right? It's the entire team. When it comes to leadership, sometimes people are excited about getting involved. They're excited about volunteering. They're excited about doing the things that God, they feel like God has called them to do or perhaps somebody has encouraged them to do. And then they realize after they get in that there's so much responsibility and they don't want to take on that responsibility. There's a lot of similarities between even KP duty and church leadership. When I think about leadership, I think about some things like this. It's been said, leadership is action, not position. Would you agree? Harry Truman once said, to be able to lead others, a man must be willing to go forward alone. To be willing to lead others, to be able to lead others, a man must be willing to go forward alone. 
Ralph Waldo Emerson. Al, your reader. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, Don't follow where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. Isn't that good? Solomon said, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Isn't that good? That's not Ralph Waldo Emerson. That's Solomon. That's the word of God, right? Proverbs chapter 29, Where there is no vision, the people perish. I want to talk to you about leadership over the next few weeks and go through the book of Titus with you. If you know the book of Titus, Titus is a problem solver. And he's a problem solver because there are many, 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 many problems in the church. This particular church is on the island of Crete. If you know your geography and you know, you think of Greece and you think of that little island, it's called Crete. There are, there are several churches on the island of Crete, and Paul sends Titus back to Crete because they need some order, is what the text says. There needs to be an establish, establishment of a foundation. And so Titus has proven time and time again elsewhere that he is a problem solver. Isn't that what leadership is? A problem solver? Right? It's not just the things that squeak in our lives. It's when one squeak is done, you know the next one's coming, right? When one storm is done, you know the next one's coming, right? It's true individually. It's true for us collectively as well, in our families, and even in churches. The church at this time was infiltrated with some teaching that was worldly. Maybe you've heard the term Gnostic or Gnosis, right? The Greek word Gnosis means knowledge, spiritual, special knowledge. And there's this teaching at the time that uh, the Gnostics would believe that you had to have a special kind of knowledge to be in relationship with God. And this is what 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, the epistles of John, and, and, and what some of the later, latter part of the New Testament is addressing is this Gnostic teaching that's infiltrated the church. Titus is going back into a place that's not always safe. He's going back into a place to create foundation, to create health in the church. If you see verse 1 of chapter 1, listen to what it says. Paul, it says, a servant of God. Did you know that Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament? Two-thirds of the Testament written by the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul uh, after God changed his heart. And listen to how he describes himself. Paul, a servant of God, catch those, those words, a servant. You know, when you write letters, we don't often write letters anymore, do we? We write emails, we text each other, we send one another things on Messenger, but when you attempt to influence others or when they attempt to influence you, I think one of the first things you've got to get out of the way is what gives you the right to speak or what gives them the right to speak into your life. Do you know what I'm saying? This is relationship kind of thing. So Paul gets right out of the way, right out of the gate. He's going to say, Titus, this is what gives me the, the right to speak into your life. I've been there. I've done that. I've got the t-shirt. Instead of Paul just describing what leadership is, he is leading Titus. Does that make sense? I think it's interesting that Paul describes himself as a servant, a servant of God. Now, if you know Paul's life, you know that wasn't always the case, right? He was a religious man. We'll grant him that. But he was misdirected in his religion. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was trained under a man named Gamaliel. He was out killing Christians. He was out destroying every kind of thought at the time was heresy. He was responsible as people laid their cloaks before him as Stephen, the first martyr in the Christian faith, was being killed. That Paul. Before the conversion experience, that murderer, Paul, 
And then he meets Jesus, as you know. Does he have a right to speak into Titus' life? Does he have a right to speak into Timothy's life? Does he have a right to to, to write to the Corinthians, the Galatians, the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians? Paul would say, I have a right to do that because I've been there. I've done that. I've got the t-shirt. And right out of the gate, church, he describes himself not as a servant of the church, not as a servant of fast forward 2,000 years, not as an employee of Hillcrest Christian Church, not as an attender or a, a member of Hillcrest Christian Church. He says, first and foremost, I am a servant of God. Do you hear that? And an apostle of Jesus Christ. Not only am I a servant of God, but I'm an apostle, I'm a messenger, I'm one who takes a, a message I'm an ambassador. Have you ever thought of yourself as an ambassador? I I tried to convince those in our Bible study this morning that whether you like it or not, you're a missionary. How many of you have accepted Jesus Christ? Most of us, if not all of us, right? How many of you consider yourself missionaries? How many of you live that way? I hope that's the case. Uh, I doubt it. And I think this is the problem. We we think of, uh, maybe it's just me, okay? I'll I'll grant you, maybe it's just me. Uh, But I'm going to be honest for a second. I think sometimes we, I, think of mission, missions over there. Missionaries over there. Somebody gets together and we ask for money because we need money for missions over there. And we don't often think of ourselves as missionaries right here. Messengers of Jesus Christ, ambassadors for Jesus Christ, wherever we happen to be. You hear that? And so when Paul says, I'm a servant of God, The other text uh, uh, that comes to mind is when Paul says, "You're going to choose, you're going to choose to be a servant of the world, or you're going to be choose to be a servant of God." Some of you have hanging in your home a plaque or a piece of wood that uh, quotes from Joshua, and it says, "As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord." You guys know what I'm talking about, right? From Joshua chapter 24. Do what you want to do, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right? We've made a choice. We've, we've decided what we're going to do. That's what Paul is, he's staking his claim right here. This is what's going to give me the ability to speak into your life, Titus. I'm a servant of God, and I'm also a messenger, an ambassador for Jesus Christ. That gives me every, everything that I need. On Here's my resume, Titus. There could be no better qualities than be a servant of God an apostle of Jesus Christ. It changes the playing field, right? And here's why I write to you. For the sake of the faith of God's elect. I asked you how many of you have received Jesus Christ, and many of you raised your hand. This is is you. If you've received Jesus Christ into your life, Paul describes you. He says, here's the reason I'm writing, for the sake of the faith of of the elect, those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? In other words, your ears should perk up when you hear this letter. When, when Titus or, or somebody in the early church reads the letter and they hear, for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the faith of the elect, that, that's me. I've, I've received, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We, we did that with Denise a couple of weeks ago. I believe that Jesus is is Lord and Savior of my life. That means I'm, I'm the elect. I, this, is, this is a letter for me. It's not just for Titus. It's not just for the churches on Crete. This is for me. This is not just words on a page. This is God's word. Which accords with godliness. You, you want to be godly? 
you, you want to be like Jesus more today than you were yesterday? He, he, he's going to tell you the secret. And it's really no secret at all. The knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Paul, by the way, remembers his own commission. You think about Paul's commission. Remember the, the road on Damascus, right? He's headed to Damascus, and what's he going there for? He's going there to kill Christians, right? In Acts chapter 26, I think I've got it for you. It might be here in purple, but I've got it for you. I'll, I'll read it in case you can't. And when we had fallen, this is Paul giving his testimony. I've mentioned to you before, some churches still do this, um, where we have testimony time. This is Paul giving his testimony. When we had fallen, all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, before he became Paul, right? Why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. We talked about that this morning, didn't we? It, 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 you're, you're being foolish, right? Why are you persecuting me? And I, and I said, I being Saul said, Who are you, Master? Who are you, sir? And, and the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Rise and stand upon your feet, for you have for I've appeared to you for this purpose. Now here it is. This is where Paul gets his marching orders. Here, here's the reason I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant. Remember what he says in Titus 1? To appoint you as a servant and a witness, apostle, word bearer, ambassador to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. And then verse 18 says, to open their eyes. Why do we pray, Kay? We talked about this Wednesday night. Why do we pray that God would have our eyes open? Why do we pray that God would open our ears? To open their eyes so that they may turn from their darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in, in me. That's Paul's testimony, isn't it? That's what gives Paul the right to speak into Titus's life. That's what gives Paul the right to speak into the early churches here on the island of Crete. I love what he says in verse 2. Look, look what it says. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time, he, what? He manifested in his word, or he, some translations say he manifested his word through the preaching which I've been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Now I ask you again, if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're the elect. What does it mean to be elect? It's the same commission that Paul has been given. It says here, he's manifested in his word. You want to know what truth is? You've got it right here. You've got it on your iPhone. You've got it wherever you go. Now, whether you open that app or not, that's another story, right? But you've got it on your iPhone. Or, or I've got 15, 20, 20 of these. And you do as well, right? The, the very Word of God has been entrusted to us ambassadors, missionaries to the world. If it's been entrusted to us, if something has... You remember the parable in, in the Gospels where Jesus says, I, I've entrusted this, this land to a, a certain landowner, and eventually the, the owner will come back. The landowner has entrusted, I should say, the servants with the, the, the land. The landowner's going to come back and decide what's been done, right? 
We've been entrusted with the very word of God. What will we do? What will we do with, with the Great Commission, if you will, right? You've been entrusted, or it's manifested in his word with which I've been entrusted. Now Paul's going to talk about false teaching. That's been a problem on Crete. The Gnostics have come in, have infiltrated and said, um, this is what truth is. We talked in our Bible study this morning that truth is not just, if you're going one direction, right? If, if Where am I at here? This is east? Is that, is that correct? Somebody help me out? This is east? This is south, right? If I'm going south, right? And this is... Let's say this is due south. I'm not really sure, but this is due south, right? And, and, and I know this is truth, right? Now think spiritually with me. If I, if I know this is truth, right? If I know this is where I'm supposed to be zeroed in on, and oftentimes Satan doesn't say, turn this way, go west, or he doesn't say, turn this way and go east. You know what he does? He says, if you'll just take, if you'll just go this way a little bit. If you'll just go this way a little bit. See, the Gnostic teaching was, yeah, you can believe that, and you can believe that, and you can believe that, but you also need to believe this. You also need to believe this. And so as, as you're going south, whatever direction you're going, if you just divert your attention just a bit, it still sounds plausible, right? That's what's happening on the island of Crete. And as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes Church, there is nothing new under the sun. We still have false teaching, do we not? We still have false teaching even in 2018. So, so when Paul says, hey, you want to know what God of this is? You, you want to know what it means to be God's elect? If you want to know what the truth is? Listen up. Pay attention. We, we, part of the Reformation was about you having God's word in your own hands. You don't need to have a priest now telling you. You don't need to have a, you have it, you have it for yourself. And yet, how often do we take it for granted? I've been entrusted, he's going to talk about false teaching here in just a second. There's a big long, a big long sentence there in the first three verses of, of Paul, just introducing why he's been given the opportunity to write. And then he says, to Titus, my true child in the common faith. Now, some scholars think that he perhaps led Titus to the faith, much like Timothy. Maybe. But, but you know that you have influence. Maybe you didn't lead somebody to the faith, but maybe you have influence over somebody. Maybe that's the case as well. Maybe Paul is saying, hey, I've got, I've got a certain amount of influence over you, and let me, let me tell you why. Remember, he's a servant of God. He's apostle of Jesus Christ, right? Maybe he's just older than Titus. But nevertheless, my, my child, my true child, you almost hear this, you almost hear this uh, affinity for Titus, right? My true child in a common faith, grace and peace. That's Paul's typical greeting. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's why I left you in Crete, Titus. You're a problem solver. And, and, and we all know there's problems in the churches in Crete. Here's what I want you to do. He, he gives... He gives his own testimony in Acts chapter 26, but he says, here's, here's your commission, Titus. Here's what I think that God has called you to do. Here, here's why you're in Crete. You might put to what remained in order um, the Greek, Larry. Uh, this is a medical term here, and, and this medical term where it says that you may put things into order the medical term that's used there in the Greek is where things are, are, are crooked and you may make them straight. It's often used for Jesus when he does things with deformed people in the Gospels where they're crooked. 
and he heals them and he makes them straight. I thought that was intriguing. I don't know if you catch that or not, but when, when Paul gives Titus his commission for what he's about to do in the churches in Crete, he uses that same Greek term where he says, so that you might put what remained into order. That's the, that's the Greek term, from crooked to straight. So that you might be, build the foundation, so that you might be the, the, the very, uh, some of you know the term cornerstone. If you don't have a cornerstone, what happens to the foundation? It's, it's, not, it's not very sound, right? So here's what I want you to do, Titus, so that you may put what remained into order. And number two, I think this is the next slide, maybe. Put things into order, and number two, to appoint elders. Now, somebody asked me Wednesday, uh, we were talking about leadership in a Bible study here, and uh, somebody said, and I can't remember, forgive me, I can't remember who it was, but it may have been Kay. Yes, Kay, you always got something good to say, so I'm always going to call on Kay. I'm not being facetious, I'm serious. And if it wasn't you, then forgive me. But you said, uh, why, do we, why do we vote on elders? Why do we vote on deacons? Was that you? Oh, it was, see? Yeah, my memory's not all gone. And the answer was, we live in America. And past the war, post-war, we followed the Republican, Republic ways, right? And we, we pass out these ballots, and we ask who's popular and who's not popular. Sounds like I'm really cynical, right, in regards to church leadership. Um, but we've done it forever, as long as I can remember. Uh, is that what Paul tells Titus to do here? No, he doesn't. He's not going to say, hey, find out who's popular, and then make them an elder. What does he say? He says, appoint Appoint elders. Why shouldn't we go that way? Well, why shouldn't we go that route? Now, our bylaws are kind of restrict us to do certain things. But I think this is something to be considered. In other words, it's not just about who's popular and who's not, who's been around the church for 40 years or 50 years. Um, do you, you follow what I'm saying? Titus, Titus is told to make things straight, and appoint elders. Why? Because we have this problem of false teaching that's infiltrated the church. Right? False teaching is real. Guard the faith. Listen to what it says. I, I want to read a text to you real quick. First, First John chapter 4. Anybody taking notes? Beloved, don't, don't believe every spirit this is, just, this is true in 2018, just like it was true in the churches on Crete. It's true not just in this building, it's true in your lives, right? Don't believe every spirit. Postmodernism, the world in which we live, would tell you if it feels good, do it. And I'm here to tell you your feelings lie to you. So you ought to test the spirit, right? See if it's true. See if it aligns with the word of God. So John says, remember, John's writing to the Gnostics, or writing against the Gnostics as well. He says, beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. We could say, or in the churches in Crete, or, or in America in 2018, or in in groups of people who call themselves churches, even. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Listen, here's how you know what truth is. Here, here's how you know what godliness is. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. By the way, the Gnostics believe he was just an apparition, right? He was just a... You've you got to confess Jesus as come in 
the flesh, right? This is God in the flesh. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. You hear the danger of false teaching? We're going to see that over the next couple of weeks. False teaching is real, just as real in 2018 as it was in the early churches on Crete. And and Titus has been commissioned by God, and more importantly, he's been commissioned by God to, to, to establish this foundation for churches and to appoint elders, presbyters, overseers, if you want to call them that. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. What, what does it mean to be a, a, an elder? What does it mean to be a um, what does it mean to be an overseer? What does it mean many of you have experienced bad leadership, whether it's been in the church or in secular world or whatever the case may be, and, and I want you to understand that secular leadership is not always godly leadership. That should go without saying, right? But because you've had a bad taste in your mouth about leadership, you're skeptical when it comes to church leadership. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 17 says this, Obey your leaders. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls. The reason that I ask you to discern what God would have you do the next few weeks The reason that we want to confirm what God has already decided on May the 20th is for this very reason. That these shepherds, that these people that care for your soul, think about that for a second. Let that that just sink in for a second. The American way of life is we gather in a boardroom and we vote on who's going to clean the toilets or not who's going to clean the latrines, who's going to mow the grass, who's going to peel the potatoes, who's going to... That's the American way of life. Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews says, these overseers, these shepherds, these bishops, obey them. Why? Trust them. Why, Paul? Because they care they care for your soul when you think about Jesus when he's doing his public ministry doesn't that Jesus exemplify that over and over and over again does he exemplify that even in in the text I read from Matthew chapter 6 this love for those that he's writing to Submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's the responsibility. That's the responsibility. We don't like KP duty. We don't like this. We don't like the stuff because it's not a a thankless job. Right? I get that. It's a thankless job. But guess what? Um, I truly believe, I truly believe that the elders and deacons will have a special place. Uh, and what I mean by special place, I'm not talking about a place. In, in, I'm talking about they will, they will be acknowledged because they have, they have, they have service uh, beyond anybody else. We, as a, the leadership as it stands now, we've talked about this, that the first sign of a, a leader, whether it's elder or deacon or minister or whatever the case may be, the first sign is humility, is service, right? Servant leadership. And you remember what Paul says to the Philippian church when, it, when he describes Jesus as being the first servant, don't you? Philippians 2, anybody? Your mind should be this, the same as Jesus Christ who had equality with God and yet gave that equality up and came and became a man and lived among us and was obedient even to the point of death. Death on a cross. That's your example. 
That's what he expects from elders. That's what he expects from deacons. That's what he expects from ministers. Oh, by the way, that's what he expects from every one of us. Let these people that serve do this with joy. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Do you hear how important elders, overseers are to the church? And then listen to these, we'll talk more about these qualities, these characters, character traits that Paul lines out. Uh, I think I've got a couple of slides for you, by the way. Um, Paul says they should be above reproach. What that means is, in English, they should be blameless. Are you a gambler? Is there sin in your life? Are, are, you, are you a drunkard? Are you an adulterer? Um, are you a fornicator? Are you a murderer? Uh, do, you, do, you, do you lack self-control? It must be above reproach, blameless. The husband of one wife, devotion. Do they have children? I don't, I don't believe that Paul says that you have to have children. But if they have children, are the children believers? Are they being led in the gospel message? Are they being led in the ministry of the word? Are they being encouraged as Paul encouraged? You remember what Paul tells calls Titus, he says, my true child in the common faith. You hear what he's doing? I've been there, I've done that, I've got the t-shirt. If you, if you have children and you want to be a church leader, or if you're called to be church leader, are your children being taught the gospel? If not, there's a problem, right? The next slide goes on to say, that are they above reproach as God's steward? You understand that this is not my church. This is not the elders' church. This is God's church. And we are stewards of God's church. And one day, I'll have to stand before God. I'll have to answer for my, my decisions in my life. I'll have to answer for leading Hillcrest Christian Church for a time. Every elder will have to answer for it. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, I'm out. I'm not going to do that. That's not my responsibility. It should be if God has called you to that. Right? But above reproach, blameless again, as God's steward, not arrogant. You ever know anybody that's arrogant that tries to take on a leadership role? I have. Not quick-tempered. These are all negative characteristics, by the way, and I'll talk to you about that here in a second. Not arrogant, not quick-tempered. Anybody know that somebody that flies off the handle? Yeah, that's the last thing you need. Not a drunkard, not violent, not greedy. Why does he say all those things? Remember in Galatians 5 when he talks about fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, etc., etc. But the things of the world are, and then he gives a list of negative characteristic traits that says these people don't have the Spirit. Same thing here. And we're talking about leadership in the church. In God's church, right? These are the positive characteristic traits. They're, they're hospitable. We talked about that Wednesday night. That looks different for all of us because we all have different personalities, but they're hospitable. In other words, they think of others before they think of themselves. They're lovers of good. Why would you confirm somebody as an elder who doesn't know the Word of God? I see it happen all the time. And if you've been around the church, Glenn, you're shaking your head like this. You've been around the church. You've seen it, right? We all have. Because we follow this popularity contest rather than what God has already said. Self-controlled, upright. Remember Job, who's blameless and upright? right? That's one of his character, character traits is what he's described as. Holy means to be set apart, of course, and disciplined. Um, what allows you to do those things? What, what makes you hospitable? What makes you the lover of good? What makes you self-controlled and upright and holy and disciplined? There's only one. My flesh will never be that. You get what I'm saying? 
Paul says it this way in Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I keep on doing, I, I hate those things. What a wretched man I am. You know what he's saying? Then he says, praise God, there's no, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's the end of Romans 7, first of Romans chapter 8. But this idea of hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined, if you're mature in the faith, you know you cannot do that by your own merits. You cannot do that by your own strength. You can't, no matter how hard you try. So what does he tell the Galatian church in chapter 2, verse 2? I must crucify myself daily. I've got to get out of the way and let God do what God wants to do. You hear that? Before I'm served, I need to serve. Man, if we could just, if you don't get anything else at all, please, please, please think about that for a second. Serve. The mind of Christ, Philippians 2. Right? Let me, let me read another New Testament text to you real quick. I don't think it's on the screen, so I'll just read it to you. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5. Listen, listen to what... Peter says, if you don't know the context of Peter, he's writing during the diaspora, the scattering of the church. The church is going through sufferings. They're going through the squeakings, right? This trouble in the church. And sometimes when there's trouble and there's stress, then people want to wave the white flag and give up and go home. But Peter is not about to let that happen. Listen to what he says, 1 Peter chapter 5. So I exhort, I'm pleading, I'm begging, I'm asking, I'm encouraging the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here's your commission. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. This is not a authority laden job. This is not about a position. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples. Remember servant leadership? But being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, who's the chief shepherd? Yeah, it goes without saying, right? But it should be said anyway. The chief shepherd appears. When Jesus appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise. Now, hear, hear this church. Because you're like, get them, get them. Right? Beat up the elders. Right? Bring them up here and let's just have a... But you... Those of you who are younger, maybe not younger in age, maybe just in the faith, be subject to the elders. We don't like that. Part of that American way of life is we're libertarians. We like to have our own stuff, right? Come take my guns. You've seen that in the last couple of months? You know, um, we don't like words like submission. We don't like this words of be subject to elders or anything like that. But the only way we can do that is by the Spirit. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But gives grace to the humble. I want to share with you just a couple of things. We're almost done, but look at verse 9. I didn't read 5 through 8. You can look at that, and we'll look at it again next week. But look at verse 9 of Titus 1. As he goes through these character traits, he, he ends this paragraph here by saying this. He, the one qualified to be an elder, the one qualified to be a leader, the one that God has already appointed, right? He must hold firm to the trustworthy worthy word as taught. There's all kinds of false teachings going on in our world today. And there are things that just get us off a little bit, and eventually, instead of a little bit, I'm off a lot. Um, 
That's why it's important they're called to preach and teach and, and admonish and, and, and care for the flock because the, these, are dangerous, these are dangerous times, right? Know the gospel. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction. An elder's, an elder's role is not to bury their head in the sand and act like nothing. Or to close their ears or to never deal with conflict because conflict's coming, I can promise you. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also, now here's, the, here's really the struggle, right? This is the challenge. And also be able to rebuke those who contradict good doctrine. Even in, even in the church today? Even in the church today. Even at Hillcrest Christian Church, it's possible. You, you understand every time you stake a claim for God that Satan gets more involved, right? Here's my plea to you, church. As you're praying that God would reveal to you who leadership is come May the 20th, whatever that looks like moving forward, elders, deacons, minister, whatever the case may be, I pray that you would go back here and review, not what I say, because what I say is not important, what God says. Look at the First Timothy text. Look at the Titus text. Discern with the Spirit of God. Many of you raised your hand and said you, you've received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If that's the case, you have the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living within you. If that's the case, you also have the gift of discernment. I'm asking you to exercise the gift of discernment. Don't pick and choose what you want. Discern what God wants so that we can confirm on May the 20th what the leadership looks like moving forward. This is God's church. Not my church. Not the elders' church. Not the deacon's church, not your church. It's God's church. Let's, let's let God do what God wants to do. Amen? And look what he does over and over and over again. And what he's done before, he can do again. Let's pray.